This podcast is not intended for use as psychotherapy. If you feel you are in crisis, please call 911 or contact your local crisis hotline. Welcome back to Phoenix and Flame. I'm Dana, and this is my podcast on pushing through and transforming even when you feel like a pile of ash. This is episode number three, and we have been talking about boundaries and different topics along those lines. Um, As I've said before, I'm going to be using various resources that I have found very helpful along the way, and one that I'll be continuing to use some today, uh, along with some other new ones that I'll be introducing, is um, Henry Cloud and John Townsend's seminal book on boundaries, which I have suggested if you don't have that book, then it might be great to get it and read it because it's just, it's fantastic. They have a workbook that goes along with the text. It's now, it's a white and red and black is what it looks like. Um, back in the day when I very first bought the book, it was a, a minute or two ago, <laughs> the books were more like blue and green and some browns in there, but they've updated and changed over the years. Uh, but the workbook that I've used in several of the classes that I've taught, if you if you see it, if you go online to buy it or in a bookstore or something, it will be uh, white and black and red. But it is a workbook, and it really is very helpful. It was very helpful to me in the classes, uh, trying to break down different topics and how to teach people about boundaries. Um, as I've said before, I'm a psychotherapist, and I end up uh, talking about this issue every day in almost every single session. It's just really phenomenal how pervasive boundary issues are. And I started thinking about this the other day, you know, why is that the case? And how do I go about listening and processing the information that a patient might share with me? And as I'm listening to information that they're sharing, you know, one of the first things we need to figure out is what belongs to my patient and what does not. If it's an issue that doesn't belong to my patient, we don't need to waste our time on it. Figuring out what belongs to you and what does not belong to you is about boundaries. Um, That's kind of how you have to start. Like I said, trying to focus on issues that aren't yours are going to gain you nothing. You're just wasting your time. It's not yours to deal with. When you could be using your time on issues that you do have control over and that you can change and those issues belong to you. So that's kind of the first step before you can even do much of anything else. And so this is why Boundaries is such a a fan favorite and I really enjoy talking about it and it's just so applicable. I was kind of reviewing different topics that I thought we could continue Uh, for continuity's sake. And I was looking in the workbook at page 15. This is the Cloud and Townsend Boundaries workbook. Uh, Number one, I was just reading that question the other day and really decided to just take my time and kind of hover over just actually a portion of that one question because so much more was coming to my mind that applied to it. And since this is my podcast and I can do what I want to, (laughs) which is amazing, um, I don't have to adhere to anybody else's um, 
timetables or expectations of how many chapters have to be covered in how many weeks or whatever like that. Uh, that's one of the beauties of a podcast. You can just do it how you want to, how you think is best. So I've decided I'm just going to really just relax and enjoy myself and take my time and really cover these topics uh, in depth and just really hover over whichever things stand out to me and really kind of dig in a little bit and examine how these things impact us. Because like I said, I've, I've heard so many stories. Um, doing what I do for a living is an honor and a privilege, uh, basically getting a backstage pass to what people are going through. And so I know um, from personal experience and from listening to many, many, many of people's stories that these are very applicable issues. And so basically on page 15, question one says, well, let me back up. Um, The title of this particular area in the booklet, in the workbook, is the responsibilities that come with boundaries, which is interesting, an interesting take on that. So now we're going to talk about boundaries, and there's some responsibilities that come with that. So the question number one says, ignoring feelings or letting them rule over us is not being responsible for them. And what does being responsible for feelings look like? I thought that was a very good question. And when I started to really just write my notes down and put my feelings down on paper about this topic, I was thinking, okay, so basically you've got ignoring feelings versus letting them dominate. And the more I started writing my notes down and really parsing my my thoughts on this topic, it just got larger and larger. So what I'm going to do on this episode is just focus on why we ignore our feelings. Because there's just too much that needs to be said on ignoring our feelings and then also when we let them dominate us. And like I said before, I want to really just enjoy these episodes and have the time to say what needs to be said and cover these different areas without feeling like we're in a hurry because we're not. (laughs) So why do we ignore our feelings? One of the first things that came to my mind, I, I had mentioned in episode number two and read some from Dr. Claudia Black, who is one of my favorite Authors. She's a psychologist with a lot of research in um, alcoholism and um, the impact on the family. Uh, she wrote a, a really very popular book called It Will Never Happen to Me, which, again, anything that I bring up in my podcast, I would highly recommend uh, anybody would want to read them. They're very, very interesting, good to read, easy to read. Anyway, she, one of the things that she was talking about, and I've, and I've seen it in other resource materials as well is a, is a triad that developed um, when they were doing the research about the families where there was someone who was an alcoholic. And then, like I said later, it doesn't necessarily have to be alcohol. It can be another substance or it can even be someone who has a serious and chronic mental illness that just kind of dominates the family dynamic. There's a triad that seems to emerge And it's basically this, don't talk 
don't trust, and don't feel. And the reason why these develop is because many, well, it's because of the response that we get. People don't want to talk about what's going on in their families. Um, they don't want to talk about their feelings. But we'll talk about that when it says don't feel. You know, they want to talk about it because they're told not to. Don't, don't uh, you know, air the dirty laundry. You know, keep the family issues in the family. You don't talk about it. You act like it's not happening. Um, that's kind of like the byword. Another thing is don't trust that uh, youngsters kind of learn as they're raised in an environment like that because, I mean, if they can't really trust the people that they're supposed to be able to trust, then who else could they trust? And so that becomes hard on them as they grow older and try to have healthy relationships because they just sort of have this expectation in the back of their mind that sooner or later... Whoever they're in a relationship with is going to do something, um, it's going to betray them in some way. And so they have trouble with trust. But the third one, and the one we're kind of talking about more today, is don't feel. A lot of people in these situations, they become sort of robotic, becomes kind of like an automaton with regard to feelings, because as they were growing up, um, they learned that if they were to feel, then short on the heels of any kind of feelings was pain. And their feelings were not uh, responded to in a healthy way. And I got, you know, thinking more and more about that particular situation. Um, and we're going to talk about that here in just a moment in lines of uh, codependency. But I wanted to take just a, a quick minute and bring up a couple of, of quotes. And these quotes are from a book um, written by Brene Brown. And her name is spelled B-R-E-N-E Brown. Um, you may have already heard of her. She's very popular. She has a lot of TED Talks. She has her PhD in uh, social work and has done a lot of research uh, with her focus being uh, a lot on shame and um, vulnerability, uh, resiliency, these types of things. And she's written a lot of books. She's a very good writer. She's a very good speaker. Uh, she's very funny. Uh, again, like the rest of, of the books and resources I I talk about on my podcast, I would recommend that you enjoy some of her of her works there. But what I'm going to be talking about today is from a book called I Thought It Was Just Me, but it isn't. And this was actually what I'm getting ready to talk about were some quotes from the, some interviews that she did. And these quotes are actually in the introduction. Her books are so good. I just, I start reading them like every, every paragraph before we even get to chapter one. <laughs> so, but I, I really thought there was a couple of quotes that stuck out to me as I was teaching a boundaries class a couple years ago. And one of them was this. Again, these are, are quotes uh, from her interviews that she would do for her research. Here's one. I don't tell anyone about the things I've gone through 
I don't want them to feel sorry for me or think differently about me. It's easier to keep my past to myself. Just thinking about being blamed or judged for my past causes me to lose my breath. Here's another quote. No one knows how bad things are with my husband. They think less of him and less of me for staying with him. I'm constantly lying and making up stories to cover up. When I lie, I feel sneaky and ashamed. So these are just a few um, of the reasons why people possibly don't want to express their feelings. Now, we've talked a little bit about codependency. And I wanted to bring it up again briefly because codependency can be a a big player in why someone doesn't really want to express their feelings. And it really can get to a point where they don't even know what they feel. They can tell you what they think. Um, they can be very bright, but they don't sometimes even know what they feel, let alone uh, be very adept at expressing those feelings. Basically, those situations begin when you have someone at the center. And again, when the codependency, when those terms got coined, I'm not positive exactly. I think it was the 1970s when all of the research on alcoholism and and the impact that that has on families started to really emerge and, you know, become more prevalent, they focused on someone who was drinking too much. But as I've said, it doesn't necessarily have to be someone who is ingesting too much alcohol. It can be someone who is abusing a substance. It can be someone who has a serious and chronic Uh, significant mental illness. So what happens is this individual sort of becomes the center of the family system. An image might be, you could kind of imagine a, a spider in the middle of a big sticky web. And The spider is the one that has the issues, and the web is all around it. And anyone who's in a relationship with the spider has to traverse upon the web, which is sticky. And they have to tread very carefully, or they will get attacked by the spider. And so they learn to make their whole life basically about the spider. They modulate how they speak. They modulate their body language. They, you know, decisions that they're making, like who they talk to, how do they talk, how their, what their facial expression looks like, what their, what their body language looks like, everything becomes about the spider and how the spider is going to respond because the person on the web doesn't want to be attacked. And so what happens over time is that these individuals, they end up making their whole psychological landscape about this other person. 
and in turn, this other person um, is taught and enabled to become rather narcissistic, to become rather focused on themselves. They don't really have to think about other people much because everyone else is too busy thinking about them um, because of the way they might lash out or you know, cause pain in some way that scares people. Well, someone who has been in that environment and then grows up and is trying to have healthy relationships might have issues expressing feelings or even being aware of what they feel at all because what they've done through the years is they have kind of emptied themselves out of any feeling, of any emotion, so that they can just deal with the spider. And when they move away from the spider and they start to have other relationships, they don't really know how they feel about things. And so it's very difficult for these individuals to be able to express their feelings. And they're very good at ignoring their feelings if they even know what they feel at all because they're, they've been trained to be very focused on other people. Um, they become very much of people pleasers. These are the ones that will say, I'm just trying to keep the peace. A couple of other images that come to my mind is they do what I call the eggshell dance. If you imagine a person and instead of looking at them as a spider with a sticky web around them, you can imagine they're a person standing there and they've got the big, big basket full of eggs and they've just dropped these, they have eggs all around them. Everywhere they go, they're just surrounded by all these eggs. And if you want to interact with them, you have to do what I call the eggshell dance. You have to like dance all around so you don't make sure you don't crack an eggshell um, if you do it on their terms. Now, if you do it in a healthy way, then you walk straight up to them, inevitably cracking shells. They will get very, very upset about this, but then you end up teaching them that you are going to interact in a healthy way and some shells are going to get cracked. And if they want to be in a relationship with you, they're going to have to move past that. But that's healthy. Um, we're talking about individuals that were raised to, to do the eggshell dance. Something else that uh, folks that struggle with this, that they, you know, an, an image I can give you is like someone standing in a forest and they are very hyper vigilant, looking all around them, looking back and forth, back and forth at the forest floor for any tendrils of smoke. And if they see a tendril of smoke, they rush over to it and they stamp, stamp, stamp it out. And then they stand there and become hypervigilant again, looking back and forth, back and forth across the forest floor for another tendril of smoke, at which point they will rush over there and stamp that out as well. That's another example of how people become very focused on someone else's issues and how to get that smoke stamped out before it causes the whole forest fire. So you can understand possibly how someone who has been in that environment for any length of time, they're not really concerned about how they feel because they're too busy either trying not to get eaten by a spider or cracking eggshells or they're trying not to get burned up in a forest fire. So their feelings about things sort of become 
way, way down on their priority list. The problem with that moving forward um, is that it's hard for them to have a healthy relationship with someone because one of the requirements of a healthy relationship is emotional vulnerability. At some point along the way, there needs to be some some vulnerability, some openness of emotion with one another. But these individuals, they don't really know what they feel because they have spent years and possibly decades focused on making sure that the shit doesn't hit the fan or to keep the peace. I mean, I've just heard these phrases over and over and over again from people. Now, Notice that the ones who are, you know, causing the chaos, the ones that are causing the forest fires, the, you know, the spiders, the ones with all the eggshells strewn about, they're, they're not the ones usually that end up in therapy. It's everybody around them. So for these folks, it's, it's easy to ignore feelings because that's what they've always done. That's what felt safe to them. Because they had to be focused on this other individual or there was hell to pay. And sadly, it's not unusual for these individuals to get older and be attracted to familiarity, which we all are on some level. To be attracted to someone who is like the spider or someone who does have the eggshell, the the basket of eggs all around them and or someone that's starting the, you know, the forest fires because that's kind of become their identity. You know, uh, they they know how to do that. They know how to navigate the sticky web. They know how to do the dysfunction eggshell dance. They know how to run around the forest and look for tendrils of smoke. They know how to do that. And so they're quite familiar. I don't want to say comfortable because it's not really comfortable, but they are very familiar with these individuals and how to do that. So they inadvertently sometimes end up being attracted to those types of people. And so they end up living in their adult lives, what they went through their entire childhood. And uh, it's hard. Um, You you can imagine somebody who's rather narcissistic and self-absorbed would be attracted to people like this um, because then the relationship gets to be all about them. So, there comes a time where you have to kind of figure that out. Um, and we'll talk, talk about that here in just a minute. I wanted to talk about shame for just a second or two. Um, because shame comes into play here as well on why we ignore our feelings, why we don't want to express them. Lots of times we feel shame um, because we're feeling judged or we're feeling ridiculed or rejected Back to the Brene Brown book that I brought up earlier, Uh, I thought it was just me. She had some words in here in her book that I thought were were poignant. Um, I'm on, it's it's in the introduction, Um, must be page 16, but it's XVI. She says, we also know the painful wave of emotion that washes over us when we feel judged or ridiculed about the way we look, our work, our parenting, 
how we spend our money, our families, or even the life experiences over which we had no control. And the most painful shaming experiences are often self-inflicted. The constant struggle to feel accepted and worthy is unrelenting. Sometimes we turn these emotions inward and convince ourselves that we are bad and that maybe we deserve the rejection that we so desperately fear. And then other times we lash out. Either way, in the end, we are left feeling exhausted, overwhelmed, and alone. I want to add here that sometimes when people turn those types of emotions inward and view themselves as bad, they might engage in self-harm in some way, such as cutting, that type of thing. And lashing out is not uh, an example of emotional expression. That's losing control. That's um, We can talk about that in, a, in another episode, um, what happens when we lash out. But that is not what we're talking about when we're talking about expressing our feelings. A last little thing I'll say that she says in here in her introduction, shame forces us to put so much value on what other people think that we lose ourselves in the process of trying to meet everyone else's expectations. And I think that is, that is key in a lot of reasons why we don't express how we feel. It's because of what we're expecting to happen if we do. We're expecting someone to judge us. We're expecting someone to make fun of us, criticize us, reject us. And if that's the case, why would we want to express our feelings if that's what we're expecting to happen? So at some point, we've got to decide that our feelings matter as much as anybody else's. A lot of times that has to happen through therapy or something like that because sometimes there's a trauma that is rooted in there really deep and you don't really understand how deep the roots go. And if you're having trouble shaking something like that, just go get some help. There is a way out. There's absolutely hope. Just because you haven't figured it out yourself doesn't mean that someone else can't help you do that. Because, you know, we have a right and a responsibility to express our feelings respectfully. And I say a responsibility because it isn't somebody else's job to read your mind or to ferret out what's bothering you. It's, it's our job to express that. Um, sometimes people think that they're doing someone a favor if they just keep their opinions to themselves. But that sometimes, or keep their feelings to themselves... That can erode, um, depending on the situation, it can erode the trust of a relationship. For example, if you're, if you ask someone, do you want to go to this restaurant? And they say yes, and you go. And then let's say you go to this particular restaurant once a week for six months. And then you find out through the grapevine that this person that has been going to this restaurant with you for six months hates that restaurant. But they never told you. When you asked them to go and they said yes, and they went every week after that for six months, you assumed that they liked it because they were going. They never told you that they didn't like it. They didn't express how they felt about going. And so when you find that out, then it causes you to feel possibly that the trust becomes eroded somewhat. Because then moving forward, if you 
ask this person another question. How do you know that they're being honest with you? And something else to consider is the longer we hold our feelings in, the harder it becomes to maintain control over the expression of them. Um, If you can imagine, if you're in a walking around in the shallow end of a pool and you have one of those inflatable balls that they like to play water volleyball with, if you have one of those and you hold it under the water, you can still walk around the pool and use your other arm to do other things and talk to people and carry on. It's not that big of a deal. But if you have to hold six balls under the water and then seven and then eight and you're using every appendage you have to keep those balls underwater, you really can't do much anything else. All of your energy, all of your focus is going toward keeping those balls under the water, under the surface. And one wrong move, one thing that's going to distract you And you're going to lose them all. And all those balls, all eight balls are all going to come surging to the surface of the water and splash out, splashing everyone around. That's what happens when we keep things in. When we keep our feelings in, we don't express them and we just hold them and hold them and hold them and hold them. Most of them don't go away. Once in a while, they just kind of fade away. And that's awesome when that happens. But most of them especially the ones that are significant, they're not just going to evaporate because you're not expressing them. You have to exert energy to hold them under the surface. And that's energy that you don't have to spend on something else. And the more you're holding under the water, the more energy it takes. And then one slight thing that's going to pull you, you know, distract you away and all those are going to come just surging to the surface. And that's not pleasant when that happens. It's not pleasant for you. And it's not pleasant for anybody else around who never knew that all those balls were under the surface. So I want to end this podcast with a quote by Carl Rogers. He was a, a psychologist, one of the founding fathers of psychotherapy research. And I just really liked a lot of, a lot of what he stood for. Um, he said, The curious paradox is that when I accept myself just as I am, then I can change. I like that because it gives us permission to accept ourselves right now, right this minute, exactly as we are, faults and all, weaknesses, everything. To just say, you know what, I have weaknesses, I have all that stuff, there's a lot of stuff that might be wrong with me, but I accept myself, and I'm the one that has the right to do that. I accept myself, and when we do that, then we can make changes. People normally get that reversed. That's the reason why that's a paradox. Normally, people have this long list of things that they feel like they have to change about themselves, and then they'll approve of themselves, but... It's like this being a person that they approve of keeps moving like a mirage in the desert because they might check a few things off the top of that list, but there's always going to be more things that are going to be tucked under on the bottom. They never get all the list checked off. There's always something more, something different that they want to change about themselves before they'll approve of themselves. It never works. That does not work. Looking, Look at it in yourself in the mirror right now and saying, Faults and all, weaknesses and all, I accept you. You can do that. You have the right to do that. Then, if you want to make changes about yourself, fine. 
But don't make your acceptance of yourself contingent upon all these changes. And when we can do that, when we can accept ourselves, we can accept our feelings, then we're much more likely to be able to feel the feelings and express them as they come along and not try to hold them under the water and suppress them down for fear or shame or codependency patterns. So that's about all I have for today. Um, I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode and I hope you have a good rest of the day. So this is Dana signing off on Phoenix and Flame.